Chapter 29, Why Max Wore a Dress. That's it. That's our one chapter for the evening. Come on, Dad. Dude, it's 8 o'clock. Dad! What? It's time for bed. <laughs> Please what? It's time Come for bed. On, I don't make the rules. Come on. I don't make the rules. Please, Dad. It's 8 o'clock. Come on. I can't go against time. Well, it is your birthday week. Yay! <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Dad Reads, a podcast where a dad, that's me, reads to his son, that's me, while he constantly interrupts. Yep. Enjoy your stay. <laughs> Chapter 29, Why Max Wore a Dress Grayson Maximilian Sumner III stood uncomfortably in the ceremonial garb that the Templar Chamberlain had insisted he wear. Dressing for church in slacks and a button-down shirt every Sunday was bad enough, but Max would have gladly added a tie and jacket if he could escape this current ensemble. As far as he was concerned, he was being forced to wear a dress. Imagine what Harley was going to say. Max sighed as the Chamberlain fixed his collar and then made sure Max's hose was on correctly. Hose? Max couldn't believe it. He felt like a ballerina. Luckily, the hideous leggings were hidden under a burgundy tunic embroidered with a silver griffin on the chest. That was the only part of the ridiculous getup that Max liked. The Chamberlain was an older gentleman with a balding pate thinly covered by wisps of white hair. His brow was beaded in perspiration as he fussed over Max's appearance. Halting for a moment, the old man let out a grumble and rummaged through his sewing case as he looked for something in vain. With a final growl, the chamberlain left the room, promising to return momentarily. Max looked around the the gothic figures of the room. Stained glass windows filtered in a kaleidoscope of color. Only a few days before, Max and his friends had been escorted to a sprawling castle hidden deep in the mountains of Scandinavia. Logan had neglected to mention the exact location— but Max had overheard Kane saying that this was one of the last surviving Templar strongholds, a secret place where, survivals f- f- where survivors from all over the world had come to rebuild their lives. You look right smart, the Scotsman said as he entered the room. Max turned to see an amused smirk on Logan's face, which was, for the first time in Max's memory, devoid of even a single whisker. You shaved? So I did. Logan acknowledged as he walked into the room. Max's bodyguard was dressed in his familiar black leather, however. There was a cluster of stars about the Scotsman collar that Max had never seen before. Iron studs lined his sleeves and a sword hung at his side. Don't tell anyone, he grinned mischievously. It hurts my reputation. Then he walked over and investigated Max's ensemble. Anyway, look at you. Well, I bet that pretty little Lundgren lass won't be able to take her eyes off you now. Very funny, snorted Max. Besides, I'm, wearing, I'm probably wearing the same dress she is. How come I have to dress like a princess and you get to wear that? Oh, I'm not the guest of honor. That'd be you, grasshopper. Tradition is tradition. 
Even your grandfather wore an outfit like that long ago, Logan replied. Welcome to the world of Scotsmanship. Are you finally going to tell me why we're really here? Max pressed as the Chamberlain bustled in to finish up his work and hurriedly bustled out. Logan smiled. You just saved the world, Max. There are people out there who'd like to proper thank you. But do I have to be dressed like this? Max complained. You do if you expect to receive the Order of Arthur. Max paused, his the eyes Order caught in mid-war. The what? The Order of Arthur, Logan repeated. And when do you do, I expect you to behave yourself. Act like a gentleman, no rolling your eyes or sighing. What does any of this have to do with King Arthur? The Templar have been around for over 800 years, Logan explained. But even before we existed under a different name, we've always had the same purpose though, to fight evil. King Arthur was among our order once upon a time. The order of Arthur is given only to knights who've performed the highest service. The Scotsman continued. I guess defeating a dragon qualifies that day, he said with a smile, catching Max's eye. I'm proud of you, Grasshopper. We all are. Thanks, Max said, averting his eyes. He didn't like people fussing over him, yet Max had to admit that it felt pretty good. It's all fits, you know, Logan began. Arthur's descendants receiving his medal. But I think that's enough of the history lesson. From here on out, I'm ordering you to have fun. It's kind of hard when every time I look at Ernie, I keep thinking that whatever he's becoming is my fault. That are worse things to be in a changeling. Like what? Like he could be dead, that's what, Logan argued. Logan argued. You saved his life. You gave him a second chance. Remember the next time you start beating yourself up over it. Besides, there hasn't been a downside to his new powers yet, have there? Max shook his head after a long pause. Who knows, but maybe he's the lucky one after all. Finally a superhero. Max sighed and straightened the front of his tunic just as someone knocked at the door. Are you ready, young master? The Chamberlain inquired, poking his white head back into the changing quarters. Let's go, Logan said as he gently pulled his reluctant charge along. But I look like a... Max maintained. Zip it, Logan commanded with a smile. Max sighed and followed, watching the floor the entire way. He didn't want to see the expression on everyone's face as he entered. Nice dress, Sumner, Harley's voice called out. Max knew it. His face turning red, the guardian of the Codex raised his eyes to see both Harley and Ernie in basically the same outfits. All three began to laugh. Brooke and Natalia were standing there too, both wearing flowing dresses of white with elaborate embroidery sewn all over. Their hair cascaded in rolling curls down their shoulders and onto their backs. Natalia, for the first time in their lives, actually looked like a girl rather than just, well, Natalia. In fact, she was actually pretty, right down to her French manicures. All three boys looked at her, stunned. Stop staring at me, she complained, punching Harley in the arm. I'm not a zoo animal. The Chamberlain cleared his throat. Places, places, the ceremony has begun. With that, Ernie raced over and whispered something into the old man's ear, and the Chamberlain's face grew pale. Absolutely not. You should have thought of that before now. You'll just have to wait. (laughs) Ernie groaned. But I have a nervous bladder. It's hereditary. I can't help it. 
You would most certainly better help it, the Chamberlain responded. Brooke and the remainder of the Griffins took their places at the door behind Ernie, who by now was standing dramatically cross-legged. They were ready for whatever lay ahead, whatever that may be. As long as it wasn't an army of werewolves or a fire-breathing dragon, they figured it couldn't be that bad. And then, from out of nowhere, Honeysuckle appeared, flying through the hall with a trail of stardust streaming in her wake. The pixie was clad in a miniature version of Brooke's dress, and she looked every bit as healthy as the day Max had first seen her. Honeysuckle settled on Brooke's shoulder, but not before stopping in midair and sticking out her tongue at Max, who just rolled his eyes. Then he turned to look for Sprig, but he couldn't see her anywhere. Maybe bounders weren't required to attend. Or maybe Sprig was just shy. But if it hadn't have been for that little bundle of spiky fur, Max would never have survived back at the World Tree. Come now, the Chamberlain's voice quavered, waving Max over. Stand here, please, right behind the girl, and if you don't mind... Reluctantly, Max took his place near Brooke and tried not to look at her. And just then, a blare of trumpets sounded and the door swung open, letting a rush of light spill over the kids, nearly blinding them. Max couldn't see anything on the other side, but he held his breath anyway as he followed Brooke through the doorway. Wild cheers greeted his ears and his eyes, and his heart began to pound. As his eyes adjusted, Max saw that they were in a wide hall of a cathedral lined with colorful banners. A river of red carpet cut through the middle, and on either side, row after row of Templars stood, cheering. Max hadn't expected to see so many knights, especially after what had just happened. They must have been the survivors from the Black Wolf Offensive come to start the journey of rebuilding their lives. And then he looked ahead and saw a raised platform in the front of the hall, several figures in white robes waiting. On with you, the Chamberlain insisted, and the five of them started making the long journey to the stage. Most of the attendees were strangers, though Max began to notice some familiar, albeit unexpected, faces. Augustus, his father's corpulent head butler, was there. Max hadn't seen him since the night his father's castle had burned to the ground. Dressed in a tight-fitting tuxedo, polished off with a monocle, spats, and a red sash, he looked positively debonair. What's more, he was smiling. Augustus never smiled. There were others whom Max found just as curious. The librarian from the Templar Library stood next to Mrs. Bone, their elderly homeroom teacher. Just a few paces away, Monty from the Spider's Web clapped animatedly. There were others from the town of Avalon as well, none of whom Max would have associated with the Templar in a thousand years, yet there they stood. Max wasn't so pleased to see all the guests, though. For instance, as he neared the dais, Max could see the familiar figure of the Grand Inquisitor, Ulysses Belarusus. Unlike Augustus, he looked as bitter as ever, and his quick eyes narrowed in skepticism. Luckily, Ulysses was quickly forgotten when Max saw Grandma Caliburn. Beaming, she was dressed in a satin gown with a diamond griffin pendant on it, and on either side Wellington and Mortimer flanked her. The hobgoblins had evidently been forced to bathe before coming to the ceremony, but their clothes were just as shabby as ever. One was complaining about not being able to see the celebration, while the other kept cupping his ear and asking his friend to speak louder. Max smiled. And then, just as Max was about to step on the stairs, he caught a sight that shocked him more than any other. Standing in the front row in a shimmering gown of deep burgundy, Annika Sumner looked like an empress, her dark eyes lined with tears and her lips parted in the warmest smile Max had ever seen. She was beautiful beyond measure as she stood, holding Hannah 
and a matching dress in her arms. His sister was laughing and clapping, having the time of her life. Not realizing he, he's not realizing he'd completely stopped, Max came to his senses when Brooke gently pulled on his sleeve. Nodding, he climbed the stairs where Logan, Baron Lundgren, Throckmorton, Soren, and the remaining Thor agents waited. Hanging from each of their necks was a ribbon with a shining silver medal. All eyes, however, were on Max. Another trumpet sounded as the five friends lined up across the dais from their, from their companions. A tall man Max didn't recognize stood in the center of the platform. He was dressed in a tunic of white emblazoned with a red cross and a matching cape cascading from his broad shoulders. Obviously a Templar, he was older, though clearly he was still very powerful. This regal knight had a strong jaw that ended in a neatly trimmed beard of silver with a waxed mustache. His, his cheekbones were sharp, his eyes bright. In fact, he reminded Max a little of Ivor, but at the thought of his old friend, Max felt the pain of loss. One by one, the children's names were called out, and the lordly knight placed a matching silver medal over each of their heads and around their necks. First Brooke, then Ernie, Natalia, and Harley. Max was left for last, and as his name was announced, the crowd erupted with even greater fervor, if that was possible. Max's face flushed as he stepped forward. After a bit, the master of ceremonies raised his hand and the audience quieted. Turning away from Max, he addressed the, he addressed the crowd. As acting grandmaster of the Templar Order, I have the privilege and honor to introduce the heir to the House of Caliburn and the chief hero in the terrible events that have now passed. Another outburst of applause until the Grandmaster raised his hand again. Max felt like his heart was going to explode out of his chest. Even his fingers had grown numb. The Grandmaster raised a gold medal, holding it above Max's head. This, the Order of Arthur, is bestowed upon you, Grayson Maximilian Sumner III, Guardian of the Codex, heir to the House of Caliburn, and protector of the Order of the Templar. Indeed, through your acts of extraordinary bravery, the fall of the Templar was averted and a new day has dawned. Like a phoenix from the ashes, we will rise again, more powerful than ever before. He then placed the medal around Max's neck. The Guardian was instructed to turn toward the audience. Another trumpet blasted. All hail the House of Caliburn! The hall erupted in a roar of cheers. Max waited for the ovations to fade, but they didn't. Instead, the roar was strengthened by an army of trumpets and the rising measures of a hymn sung by an invisible choir. And then, just when Max thought the cathedral would explode, a blinding light erupted high above. The throng looked as one upon a strange figure that hovered overhead. Immersed in a veil of, in a veil of purest light, at first Max thought it might be an angel. And then he smiled. Looking back down on him with eyes of kindness was his beloved teacher, Rhiannon Heen. I knew it! I knew she would be here! I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! She winked as if to let him know that she'd been watching over him the entire time. Lost in a daydream, Max was brought back to reality when Brooke slipped her hand into his. And then Harley threw his arm over Max's shoulder, and Natalia put her arm around Ernie, who started to laugh. And then the five friends collapsed into a giant bear hug and Sprig appeared in their midst. For the first time in ages, Max's heart no longer hurt. As he looked at his friends, remembering all that they had gone through together, Max smiled to himself.
Yes, it was good to be a hero, but it was still better to have friends. That's it. The end. I wonder what the clockwork chronicles were called. That's all you can say. We finished the third book of a three-book trilogy, and all you can say is, I wonder what something else will be like. For the love of Pete. Anything else to comment that I haven't already said? Because the amount of... I've interjected more than we've actually read. Yeah, but that's not unusual. Hey, you want me to read this appendix? Uh, What's in the appendix? It's about Roundtable, a brief history. Yes. All right. And it's just a page. Round Table, A Brief History It all began 700 years ago when the Templar Knights were brutally betrayed. Overnight, the once mighty armies that had selflessly protected the world were labeled traitors and forced to become fugitives. Those knights who escaped death went deep into hiding, fleeing into the mountains or across the seas. The golden age of knighthood and chivalry was over. The survivors were either locked up behind the doors of unassailable fortresses or sent walking among us in disguise. They remained in secret contact with one another, communicating in signs and symbols placed upon an ordinary deck of cards. These were the distant ancestors of Roundtable. As years passed, the Templar once again became powerful, but never again did they reveal their existence to the rest of the world, preferring instead to act in secrecy where they could deal with evil on their own terms. Their fortresses were hidden and staffed by squadrons of noble knights. Libraries were established. Centers of powers were laid down, Schools began to emerge. Within some of the most prestigious schools, which the children of the great houses attended, entire courses were devoted to the study of Roundtable, which had now become a means of passing on the secrets of the Order. It didn't take long before the strategies of Roundtable training began to take on a life of their own. Competitions quickly formed among students, though these contests were first held in secret, frowned upon by the instructors. Yet, after the very round table players who had trained for just such an event successfully defended one of the schools against an enemy, the schools eased their policies and the popularity of the game exploded. It was at this time that schools began to introduce round table tournaments. At first, only a few schools participated, but over the course of a century, most of these unique schools invested heavily in their round table teams. The history of Knucklebones Dice is, close, is linked closely to that of round table cards. The same students who turned Roundtable into a game also imported the use of knucklebones. Knucklebones had always been considered mysterious, but their pop- popularity accelerated when they were linked to the game of Roundtable. Just as some players prefer certain decks, there's also, great deal, there's also a great deal of attention paid to the dice. Some houses, such as Belerceris, prefer iron knucklebones, with the numbers blasted out of the surface by dragonfire. Others, like the Caliburns, prefer translucent dice, signifying that they have nothing to hide. There are enchanted knuckle bones, such as the dice of Damascus, as well as cursed knuckle bones, which have a habit of betraying their owner at the worst possible moment. Together, round table and knuckle bones have shaped the competitive world of the Templar students, where true mastery could only be proved by tournaments hosted by the wise and the powerful. The end.